Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and they did not do it. Morning. So, um, looking at Jonah chapter 3 this morning, which is the third in a series of four sermons. We'll be done two, it's the third one. Um, I must start this morning by asking a question which is going to sound really, really obvious and really easy to answer, but I think isn't. So, the question is this, do you believe that the Lord Jesus can really forgive your sins? Now, we're all going to say yes to that, right, but... Do you ever have any doubts? The, you know, a few weeks ago, I was sat on my sofa at home, and those doubts crept in. I was disappointed when I thought about my failures. And I thought to myself, given my sin, there's got to be a real chance that I could be going to hell. You know, I think there's a danger, I think, well... I don't know if it's a danger or not, but you know, when you're an elder or when you stand at the front and preach, you kind of, there's a risk in it that you think it's somehow different. And of course, standing in front of the Lord Jesus on the last day, that's not going to matter at all, is it? The only thing that will matter is, you know, for any of us, our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so at that point, I prayed <laughs> pray to the Lord Jesus to save me. And in some ways, that's right, isn't it? Because in some ways, we don't just pray to be saved by the Lord Jesus at the point we become a Christian. We pray it all the time. But the problem theologically with what I was doing was I thought that the sin that was in my life had somehow overcome the Lord Jesus' grace when he saved me. Does that make sense, the idea? I, I, I praise the Lord Jesus for being saved. He saves me. And then I think somehow I've undone that because my sin is so much. And of course that's not true, is it? That's not the gospel. And it may be, it may be that I'm the only one in this room who feels like that. I suspect I'm probably not. And it's odd because I think we all get used to this idea that we take someone really bad, right, and we say they could be saved. So, you know, the one I always hear is Hitler, right? You go, if Hitler had turned to the Lord Jesus, he would have been saved by the gospel, right? I think we'd all believe that, right? Because that's, that's what the Bible teaches us. But then when it comes to ourselves, it can feel different you know how can it be how can it be that I have those doubts that my sin could undo the work of the Lord Jesus but I could still believe that Lord Jesus could save Hitler right 
How do we make sense of that contradiction? You know, how can I make these bold claims for the power of a cross for other people? I struggle to make it for myself. And in, in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah experiences a near-death experience. We, we saw that you know, a couple of, two, three weeks ago when I did the last sermon. And is that, is that near-death experience as he was confronted by his sin? And I'm going to repeat, I said this last time, I'm going to repeat it again. It says, this is from Jonah chapter 2. The waters closed in over me, this is Jonah speaking, to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds were wrapped about my head. And the reason I'm saying it again is I think it's a really, really good description of what it feels like for sin in your life, right? That feeling of sins, so the weeds wrapping around you, entangling you, dragging you down. That feeling of, I was thinking about it, you know, you, if you've ever been in water and you suddenly get to a point where you can't breathe and you start to panic and you can't breathe it and you're thinking, what am I going to do? Maybe some of us have had that when we were younger. Um, it's a terrible feeling, right? And I think sin feels like that. You know, what... What we long for is like, you know, like, like this morning, you know, like maybe if we're in the countryside it would be more the case, but that, like, that kind of really clear, fresh summer's morning air, the air, of, the air of forgiveness, right? And instead, what we end up choking on day to day is this kind of smoggy industrial carbon monoxide of sin, and it just, it's not what we want. And there is something about sin which I think in my own experience is kind of dehumanising. So I sometimes wake, I mean, sometimes wake up on a Saturday morning and I just feel this sense of, it's often, I feel a sense of disappointment, I feel a sense of emptiness because I think about my failures and my sin in the week and it just gets me down. You know that feeling that you've let, <laughs> you've let Jesus down, right? But as bad as that is, it could be worse, right? So imagine... I took my sin, you took your sin, and you turn it up to 11. Because imagine your sin was so reprehensible and so repulsive. You know, because, and of course all sins like that, but it could be worse, right? So think of all the terrible things Hitler had done. Imagine if you'd done them. Think of the unspeakable things Jimmy Savile did. Imagine if it was me stood here who'd done them. What do we do with forgiveness then? We talk about the power of a cross. But when the rubber really hits the road and it all gets very, very extreme, what do we do with it then? And that, but that is a question that we come to in Jonah chapter 3. Because we see in Jonah chapter 3, God forgiving the worst nation, in the hist- as far as I can see, in the, you know, in, in the history of this world. The... We see to begin with, so we see Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh, right? And Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria at the time was a superpower, and there's no, it, it basically ruled the majority of a civilized world. And there's, there's, no, there's no one country now which is a broad equivalent of that. But the, the best example I could think of is if we imagine the Second World War, right? Germany. By the grace of God, this didn't happen, but Germany had won and had taken over Europe and then had subsequently taken over America and you end up with this kind of huge superpower, right? It's, it's that kind of sense, right? And the problem with Assyria isn't just, 
it's not just that it had huge power, it's that it was also a very cruel nation. And um, sense of that in two, there's passages in the Bible which go over it. One, one example that's drawn out is 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 17, which says this. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. Now, there's recent archaeological finds which have added a little bit more colour to that. And the, and the archaeological finds, on the one hand, they validate the details which we see in the Bible. And they tell us, you know, they, they, they line up with everything we see. But at the same time, the, the archaeological finds kind of cast more light on the degree of the cruelty which the Assyrians had inflicted on people. And the truth is, um, well, the truth is, it, it's just not appropriate for a setting with kids to go over it because it, it's absolutely awful. As you might imagine when I said it, they were probably the worst nation in the history. But do, feel free to Google it afterwards if you've you got the stomach for it. But the point is, they, in some way, they tortured, violated, and killed people, and not just enemy soldiers, women, children. It was, you know, I can tell you it's horrific. Um, you know, if you want some examples, you know, it's a kind of sense of um, Pol Pot, Eddie Amin, Hitler, Stalin, Khmer Rouge, Cambodian killing fields. You know, you're thinking those kind of things, but on a nation that happens to be ruling everyone, right? It's, it's, just, it's just grim, right? It's just grim. So, you know, when we, if we flip back, so if we flip back to Jonah chapter 1, and we think about what it was like, um, you know, Jonah didn't want to go and preach to these people, right? And you realise, it's no surprise, right? That's what they were like. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to have forgiveness. He wanted God to judge them, right? Now, what we see, Jonah's got a bit of a dilemma at the beginning of chapter 3, because basically the same thing happens again. God calls him again. And if you look at it, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now the question is, right, what does Jonah do? Now, the big, we spoke in my last sermon, I talked about spiritual change right for Jonah. So I talk about the fact that when he was in, when he was in the fish, he experienced spiritual change. But if you, if you put that to one side for a second and and you just think about the position he's in, even taking that into one, one side, he is heavily incentivized right now to go and preach to the Nivites. Because think what happened last time when he didn't. He drowned in the sea, got swallowed by a fish, was in the fish for three days and three nights, and then the bit no one ever talks about, but seems utterly grim to me, he got vomited out by the fish onto dry land. Like, so if God, God calls to him exactly the same words again, and this time he thinks, do you know what, Let, let's aim for a different outcome this time. So he goes and preaches to the dry. But he's cunning, Jonah, because despite the spiritual change, he's still not that keen, I don't think, well, he's, he's still not that keen on the forgiveness of the, um, on, of the Ninevites. So what he does is he basically sabotages his sermon. And, where are we up to? Yes, so he, 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 this is his sermon, right? He says this. um, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So that's, in my English translation, that's that's eight words, right? Um, 
in the original, believe it or not, it's only five words. I don't know how, I don't know how it translates from five to eight, but, uh, but five words in the original. Um, and you think about it, it's a bit like the Edom cheese of, um, is it Edom the one with holes? There's more, there's more missing in the sermon than there is actual bits, right? So, you know, it's missing, who's the message from? Why is the city to be overthrown? What have the people done wrong? What action is needed to avert the judgment? You know, these are quite basic things, right? Um, and yet, God, in his mercy, uses this pathetic, rubbish sermon. And there's a huge surprise right afterwards. He's preached the worst sermon in history to the worst people in history. And what happens? Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, sorry, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I'm going to say this briefly, but let me speak to anyone in this room who hasn't trusted the Lord Jesus to save their sins. For the Ninevites, the conditions were not great, okay? They had a rubbish five-word sermon from Jonah. And he, uh, as far as I can tell from the text, he only seems to preach it once, right? And yet, God was there, ready to forgive them and, it, and relent for his judgment. He was just dead eager to do it, right? And this morning, if you're sat there, it's probably true that the conditions for your repentance might not be great either. If you've gone along to this, or any other church, for any length of time, you'll hear better sermons than this, right? And therefore, you could be valid for saying, <laughs> I don't know whether laughing is a good or a bad thing, but no, we'll, just, we'll, we'll keep going. There was no laughing, just for the record of the recording. Um, <laughs> lots, of, lots of people shaking their heads at that point. Um, but... But the point is you could be forgiven right for thinking that, you know, I'm, this isn't a great time to repent. You, you, will hear, you will hear better sermons. You will have better times to repent. But the point is there won't be a better time to repent, right? Because there might not be another time to repent. This was the, these, the Ninevites had five words. They responded to them. And the Lord Jesus opens his arms and he wraps them up. And that's exactly what the word of God is doing this morning. Now, let's move on and look at the Ninevites' repentance because it's, it's slightly, it's wonderful and it's also comical the same way. So, what we see really clearly is that the Ninevites don't know about Jesus. They don't, you know, if you think about your history, they don't know, they don't know about the Israelites and all the history of Israel. They don't know about the Old Testament law, the prophets, any of those things. And when we see the way they repent, we kind of see you know, their ignorance becomes a bit obvious. What they, what they end up doing is they just try a bit of everything. And it, I was trying to think of an example. It's a bit like, for me, I've got one of those Sky Broadband routers and it seems to go on a blink all the time. And I've no idea how to fix it. So what I do is I unplug every single cable and I randomly put them back in. I turn it on and off. I shake it, move it around the room. And eventually, if I keep doing stuff, it works, right? And I never idea, have an idea which cable it was that did it. And to this day, you can go on internet forums and no one knows. They just, they, just, they just break. And that's a bit the sense of what's going on here with the Ninevites, right? So, um, yeah, so look at verse 7, I think it is. Yeah, look at verse 7. So, not only do all the people, so, you know, the, the yeah, so the, the king calls a fast. And not, all, not only do all the people fast, 
and from food and water, but they decide that actually the cattle, the herds of animals, they should do it too. And the king, he covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. The people cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And again, they're not sure whether that's enough. Their equivalent of pulling out the other cable is they go and get the cows, and they cover those in sackcloth and ashes too, as if they need to repent. They, you know, it's crazy. You know, he just doesn't want to take a chance. And the sense of repentance, you see it in verse 8 and 9 drawn out really clearly. It says this. Just turn to it in your Bible. Let everyone, this is verse, start in verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They're no confidence. They had no confidence in Ninevites that, Lord, that God would forgive them, did they? Throwing sackcloth and ashes on the cattle, getting the cattle to fast, and they still don't know. But, you know, we're, we're 2,600 years later, right? And we know that Jesus came to save our sins. We don't have to, we don't have to guess at repentance like they did. We don't have to Maybe we do, but we don't have to lie awake at night worrying about the large judgments because Jesus offers out his hand to us. He offers us to forgive us for all our sins, not just rescuing us from judgment, but bringing us into an eternal kingdom with himself. Yeah, so the next, the next surprise in the passage is in verse 10 when, having tried this kind of broad brand attempt at forgiveness we see God's response in verse 10 um, so see, see what's, read this from verse 10 when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented of a disaster that he would say he, sorry that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it now at this point there's a there's a very real question about how real the Ninevites repentance was right so was it that the Ninevites were saved in a salvation sense? Okay, did they have a conversion experience? Or did they relent from what they were doing for a period of time and God relents from judgment? Now, we know, what we know from history is that within a generation or two, the Ninevites as a nation had gone back to doing the evil they'd already done. And we also know that the Jews at the time this was written, and the Jews subsequently and even in Jesus' time, did not believe that the, uh, that the repentance was a gospel of repentance, right? They thought they stopped doing things um, and God relented from judgment. And there is a real issue here because the people of Nineveh are so bad and their understanding of God is so imperfect and so incomplete that it is almost impossible to believe that they could have actually been saved. Indeed, there's lots of Bible commentaries, even ones, um, several ones I'm looking at, actually, which question whether the repentance of the Ninevites was really the same as conversion. And, you know, when we look at, when we look at chapter 3, it doesn't really comment on that. There's, no, there's nothing in some ways hugely obvious, but we do have a benefit of a New Testament, and we have a benefit of Matthew chapter 12. Um, so I've not written down the verse number, but it says this. It says... The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is saying two things, right? Firstly, 
He's saying that the men of Nineveh will rise up against the Pharisees and they'll, con they'll condemn them, right? Because what he's saying is the Pharisees refused to repent at Jesus. But the Ninevites repented at a five-word sermon for Jonah, right? That's the first point. The second point is, what type of repentance do you think the Lord Jesus would praise them for? We know the Lord Jesus. He would not have repented them for, he would not have praised them for a moral repentance. I, I know enough about the Lord Jesus to know that right. We know their repentance is real because the Lord Jesus commended them for it. And this is a huge surprise in Jonah chapter 3. The most unlikely people repent. And God offers them the most unlikely forgiveness. This evil, terrible people, these people who tortured people, violated people, killed people, we're going to be in heaven with them. If you're a Christian today, you'll be in heaven with them. We'll get to sit next to them and talk to them. And you know what? They'll be praising God because he rescued them from their dire need. Two weeks ago, um, Pete Roberts was here. He was stood up there. He wasn't moving around like I was. He was, he was stood there. Um, and he came to speak to us. And he, he spoke to us about people from different backgrounds. Um, and he spoke about some of the guys who were going along to his church. Sorry, voices going. I've, 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 I've tried my best to learn it off by heart, and one, I've not managed to do it, and two, it's coming at the expense of my voice. So I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I spoke about pe people um, from different backgrounds, backgrounds of um, addiction, alcoholism, mental problems, right? And he spoke into the struggles they had, and there's something really beautiful, I think, about, you know, hearing about how the gospel transforms, or is it, oh, sorry, it was transforming people in those situations and just something refreshing about that and in my childhood uh, in the childhood church I went to these kind of stories were more commonplace than they are here at Egbeth and a number of the guys at the church I went to had had backgrounds in alcoholism or drug addiction but none of their stories were as dramatic as one of the guys and this guy was he was a drug dealer from Liverpool and um, he came from, a, came from a family of crime, right? And he told of how he used to walk around the streets of Liverpool and people, he could see as he looked in their eyes, a fear in their eyes, and they would cross the road or go down a side street to avoid him. Now, as is, as is a wanted drug dealer, right, he was being chased by the police. And he ended up, ended up on this rooftop of his house trying to hide from them. And he prayed to God not knowing clearly who God really was. I guess he was desperate, right? So he said, dig, who knows what he'd done, right? That he was this desperate. But he prayed to God and he said, um, and it, it, I'm paraphrasing a bit because I can't remember 20 years ago exactly what he said, but it, it's worse to this effect. Lord, I don't know who you are, but if you can rescue me from the police, I will follow you. Now, <laughs> look, not great theology, right? Not great theology. I'm, I'm not saying do that, right? But and what actually happened was the police did turn around and they didn't catch him. But then he did what everyone does in those circumstances. He writes it off as coincidence, right? And just says it was a coincidence. And he keeps doing what he was doing. But what that was, was the first in a series of events, which by God's grace led him to the Lord Jesus. And I remember being sat down. And he was sat opposite me, just, just where you guys are on the front row. And... He had a guitar in his hand. 
and he was singing, and he was singing Amazing Grace. And as he was singing and playing it, you realized he knew what Amazing Grace was, right? He'd experienced it. And my knowledge of Amazing Grace, I mean, I wasn't a Christian at the time, to the best of my knowledge, but it tells you something, looking back, I think that's, that tells me something about the grace of the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? And I think it's great to think that in heaven there'll be people like him there, right? They may have done bad things. They may have been rejected by society. They may have been rejected by friends and family. But they aren't rejected by the Lord Jesus. You know, we th- I was thinking back when I was preparing this to what, what was it like when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago? And who did he hang out with? Right? He didn't hang out with religious leaders, he didn't hang out with bishops or um, vicars or or the like. He hung out with beggars and prostitutes, people who no one else wanted to be around. He hung out with the people who were despised by society. You know, he would have hung out with the Ninevites, he would have hung out with my drug dealer, um, the guy who went to church with drug dealer. These are the people he would have hung out with. I, uh, I would like to think he would have, I'm not saying I'm any of those things, but I would love to think he would have hung out with me, right? That he would have hung out with all of us. You see, Jesus isn't, and I've said this a few times, it's really important, Jesus isn't explicitly mentioned in Jonah chapter 3, just as he isn't explicitly mentioned in Jonah chapter 2 or chapter 1, but he's all over every word, right? He's all over it. You know, that, the fact that the Lord Jesus came and wraps his arms around us, you know, well, we might, I've not written Jonah chapter 4 yet, but we might pick up on that prodigal son, um, that prodigal son imagery, because that's all over Jonah, you know, the father welcoming his son back. Um, Lord Jesus is all over all those words. Now, let me finish. I don't know where I'm up to on time anyway. Let me finish. Um, if I just go back to my, my doubts at the beginning, maybe doubts that you have too over forgiveness. So the question I'm going to finish with is this, is that when we face, when we face those doubts, how does Jonah chapter 3 help us? Does it help us? And I think the answer is actually really simple, but I want to expand on it. I think the the simple answer is we need to reflect on the Lord Jesus. Because I think we have to realise that his forgiveness is bigger than we've imagined. I think we should read Jonah chapter 3 and put ourselves in the shoes of the Ninevites. Terrible sinners that they were, terrible sinners that we are. Because none of us deserve the Lord Jesus. You know, in some ways we're all right to doubt whether the Lord Jesus will save us. In some ways I'm right to lie there thinking, why on earth would he save me? Because why would he? Why would he save me? Why would he save any of you? Why would he save the Ninevites? And yet, in Jonah chapter 3, he does. And it gives me confidence as a terrible sinner that the Lord Jesus will save me, not because I'm better than the Ninevites, but because he, the Lord Jesus, is bigger than my sin. And however bad your sin is this morning, he's bigger than that too. Let me close just by saying this. The Lord Jesus didn't come to earth to save us so that we might stop sinning. Let me say it again. The Lord Jesus didn't come to earth to save us so that we may stop sinning. He came so that we might know him and love him. And what better way to love him 
than to be amazed by Jesus, to stand in his presence, to, to wonder how he could love me, how he could love you. Sinners condemned unclean. And I say those things because after I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing, I stand amazed in the presence and hopefully it will be a helpful way of responding. Um, let me just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, um, we're all overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I think we're all overwhelmed by our sin and by the fact that we don't deserve you in any way, shape or form. But we take comfort from the fact that the Ninevites didn't deserve you either. And yet through the Lord Jesus, you have saved them and you promised to save us. We pray, Lord, that we won't get too clever about that, but that we would just keep looking at you, the Lord Jesus, and keep trusting in you and keep loving you more as we get to know you more and realize that your forgiveness and your love for us is greater than we'd ever imagined. Amen.